The Live with Squacky podcast is sponsored in part by Mid Atlantic Voiceover and Antland Productions. Coucou tout le monde, ça va? C'est l'heure de notre épisode de Live with Squacky. I'm your host, Val Kelly, otherwise known as Squacky Voice. My special guest today is a professional voice talent, audio producer, writer, and translator from the Montreal area in Quebec, Canada. Catherine Vassilopoulos is a perfectly bilingual native speaker in both English and French Canadian languages. She records voiceovers from her professional studio for local and international projects, such as corporate and explainer videos, e-learning, TV and radio commercials, social media, documentaries, telephony, audio guides, GPS, apps, and animations. Catherine and I met at one of Uncle Roy's barbecues a few years ago. It's always great to have the chance to chat with fellow French speakers. C'est un vrai plaisir d'avoir l'occasion de parler avec toi aujourd'hui, Catherine. Merci, Val. J'apprécie l'invitation et je suis ravie d'être ici aujourd'hui. Thanks, Val. Thanks for having me. Of course. I read on your website that you hold university degrees in science and journalism and have certificates in voice training and audio engineering. What made you decide to go into voiceover and how did you get started in the industry? So I hold a degree in molecular biology. I did an extra year in my honors thesis in preparation for a master's degree. So I was on track to do some research in virology and oncology. And so I spent a year in the lab uh, doing some research on HIV and cancer cells. And so the circumstances in the lab were very difficult and it was difficult to generate results. And the conditions for working there were like working with radioactive substances and running tests in sub-zero freezers and dealing with infectious substances. That was all really challenging and it was also a very solitary job so I was thinking that maybe I didn't want to continue in that direction because the only place that that would take me was to become a researcher and I didn't necessarily think that that was the right path for me so a counselor at school spoke to me and said well you have a clear pronunciation and you also communicate very clearly so maybe you should consider work in communications so once I finished my degree I switched paths and I went into journalism and I became a medical writer following that so for a few years I was interviewing physicians and writing reports and producing some virtual patient modules back in the year 2000, approximately, where all the multimedia, all that was starting uh, to become a really big thing with the internet. So after a couple of years of being a writer, I changed jobs and became a medical editor. And the company where I worked created a multimedia department, and they needed a medical narrator for all the projects that they were going to be converting from print to audiovisual. So I gave it a shot, and when they heard my demo, they hired me right away to become their audio producer. And I also had some experience experience working audio software back then because I was doing a lot of audio work for a band that I was playing in. So I play piano and I was doing backup singing. And so all that together produced an audio producer job for me in a medical education company. While I was working as an audio producer, I took some voiceover classes at the Montreal Radio and Television School and obtained a certificate in voice training. So soon after that, I decided, you know, maybe I just really want to do voiceovers full time. So I quit my job. And right around that same time, I won a scholarship in 2009. And it was the Chorus Entertainment Women in Radio Scholarship. And it was open to two women in Canada. I was one of the recipients. And it took place at the Banff Centre in Alberta, Canada. I received the certificate in audio engineering there, and once that was finished, I returned to Montreal, and I started my business called KVox Consulting in 2009. That's such an interesting start to a voiceover career. That's so vastly different from what I've heard from, obviously, a lot of people. Everyone has a different story, but starting out in science and doing research 
That's really interesting that you did all that first, and then it kind of led you in this other direction. Yeah, it's not conventional. Most people know from the beginning that they want to do voiceovers, or they've had a connected job in radio, for example, or in other television production, or film, or theater, and then they just jump right into voiceover as the, the next step in their career. Mine was just a little bit unconventional. That's great, though. That's really fun to have a different story, and look where you are now, so that's really great that it led you down that path. Yeah, it's very interesting. So Montreal is a beautiful city and the second largest French-speaking city in the world after Paris. Did you grow up there? Yes, I was born and raised here. What are some similarities and differences between voice acting in Canada and voice acting in the United States? I would say for similarities, there's a lot of auditioning. People in Canada also have agents here and abroad. There's union and non-union work, and voiceover is considered a business. It's not just a hobby or something that you do as a one-off job. People take it seriously and work hard on having their home studios, their business development, websites, etc. And I think there are a lot of great Canadian voiceover talent out there who are running businesses, they have long-standing careers, and they are very passionate about their craft. But the differences that I would say between Canada and the U.S. is that when someone refers to a bilingual voice talent in the U.S., they mean English and Spanish. But when someone refers to bilingual in Canada, they mean English and French Canadian. So when auditioning for jobs, you have to be clear on what the bilingual is. Just to clarify with the person asking for the audition, do you mean bilingual Spanish or bilingual French? The rates are also somewhat different for commercial work, depending on the market sizes, because some of the market sizes here in Canada are a bit smaller than in the U.S. And I would say that uh, animation work, it mostly falls under the union umbrella. Animation work in major television programs and, and other movies usually come through union agents. That makes sense. They do a lot of animation in Toronto and Vancouver, though, right? Those are two big right. cities where they tend to produce a lot of shows. I've seen a lot of animated shows come out of Canada, and I'm always like, oh, if only I were Canadian. <laughs> 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 yeah, Toronto and Vancouver, I think, have the biggest animation markets here in, in Canada. And in Quebec, in Montreal, there's a lot of French production for the French market. Yeah, that makes sense. With so many bilingual people in the country, it makes sense that they would have that. If someone wanted to visit Montreal, what are three places you would recommend for them to visit while in town? Okay, so my favorite place in Montreal is definitely the Old Port. This is an area of the city that was one of the first developed in Montreal, and I think it dates back to even the 1600s, but it's undergone multiple facelifts over the centuries. And what I love about it is that it has that old world charm. It kind of looks like you're walking through Paris. It's full of beautiful restaurants, especially in the summertime. You have outdoor terraces, you have bars, rooftop terraces, where you have beautiful views of the city and the St. Lawrence River and art galleries. There's a Ferris wheel that was recently placed there. There's skating on the pond in the wintertime. It's just a beautiful area to visit. So if you're a tourist, that would be my number one destination. Also, there's Mount Royal Park, which is the mountain that lives in the middle of Montreal. So many people don't know Montreal is an actual island, and it's connected to the north and the south shore by multiple bridges. And in the middle of that island, there's Mount Royal. So that is a park that people are welcome to use for cycling and jogging and walking. And there's uh, tam-tams on Sunday mornings where people bring their little drums, and there's a huge drumming uh, affair going on there. And it's the same landscape architect who designed uh, Central Park in New York City. His name is Frederick Law Olmsted. So it's a beautiful park, well-maintained, and I think it's a wonderful place to go visit. And similarly, right around that area, there's another area called the Plateau Mile End area, where you have beautiful shops, 
very quaint neighborhood, places where you can go walking. The quintessential plateau look is these apartment buildings that have about two or three floors and all of the staircases are on the outside and they all have very distinct architecture. So that's something that people love to take pictures of. But there's also beautiful new up and coming areas like Griffintown. And that's where people go to find the latest fashion things and beautiful new restaurants and hotels and lobbies. It's really nice. And also on the West Island, there's St. Anne de Bellevue, where you have a beautiful marina and uh, ice cream shops and places to walk along the waterside. So that's very nice. Those all sound really great. I've only been to Montreal a couple of times and I remember doing like some underground shopping or something. Is that a real yes, thing or am I just imagining it that? Is. It's, <laughs> it's a real thing, the underground city. So it is a, a network of underground tunnels, so to speak, but they're all shops. And you can walk from one mall to another to another, and they're all connected underground. And you also have access to the metro system, which is our subway system. And I think it was all designed like that because we have such long and difficult winters that one way to get around the city is to just walk underground. So you don't even have to take your jacket with you sometimes. If you work in an office tower in the downtown area, you can just go underground, take a walk, go to the next mall, go to the food court, and then come back, all just with your regular clothes. And it's it's really a fun thing. Right now with the pandemic, I don't know how many of those shops are actually open, but under normal circumstances, yes, there is an underground city and it's beautiful. Yeah, that was, I think, the coolest thing that I remember from visiting. When I was in high school, my mom decided to take us to Montreal for the weekend. And we also went to Quebec City. So we made kind of like a Canada trip because I grew up in upstate New York. So it wasn't that far to drive. And it was back in the day when you could just use your driver's license to get across the border. <laughs> so it was right. a really long time ago, but those were the good old days, I think. And I'll never forget that because my mom was like, we're going to go shopping in like this underground mall. And I was like, what? That's so cool. It's the coolest thing ever. So I'll never forget that. If you guys I listening think... are traveling to Montreal at some point when things kind of maybe get back to normal a little bit, you got to check out the underground city sort of and the shopping. It's really great. Such a great city. I just remember taking the elevator all the way down and there was a mall attached to our hotel and I was like, okay, I'm home. Like, this is where I want to live now. <laughs> Any nice. place where there's a mall attached to my place where I'm staying, I was like, I don't need to even leave. I don't even need to go outside. This is the best thing ever. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> As a member of the World Voices Organization, otherwise known as WOVO, you've served on their executive board since 2014. Can you tell us a bit about the organization and how it helps to support voiceover professionals? Sure. The World Voices Organization, or WOVO, is the Industry Association for Freelance Voiceover Talent. So I've been on the board, as you said, since 2014. I was the executive secretary from 2014 to 2018 the executive vice president from 2018 to 2020, and now I am the president since March. So WOVO is a membership-based organization. It's open to anyone who wants to apply. And depending on the applicant's level, they either enter as an associate member or a professional member. And if they're not voice talent, then they can be industry partner. The vetting process allows the executive board to determine which level is appropriate for each applicant. And member benefits include the mentorship program, a studio approval process, professional member directory called voiceover.biz, where people who hire voiceover talent can browse profiles and contact the talent directly. It's not a pay-to-play. It really is a talent directory, and they can search it based on the genre and the language that they're looking for, and chances are they'll find somebody to voice their project. But Wovo also offers a great community, and this community is there to help voiceover talent exchange information on our Facebook page. It also allows talent to meet in person through our regional conferences 
conferences. We used to have annual conferences, and now we're also implementing some regional conferences. Again, when the time is right and the pandemic lockdown measures are lifted, and we can all see each other again in person. Trying to also pivot towards a virtual model um, and to increase the number of expert webinars that we're offering our members to help them stay abreast of all the industry news. We offer discounts on certain vendors for equipment. We offer a newsletter and business resources on our website, meetup groups in uh, more local settings, and weekly chats with other members through our lounge and cafe initiative. So there are so many things to benefit from in this organization. And just like any other profession, like doctors and dentists and plumbers all have their national associations, this one is the one for voiceover talent. And it's a way to help people navigate business and ethical questions too related to the voiceover business. It's not just, you know, webinars to teach people how to place a microphone. It really is about what do I do with the exceptions to the rules? How do I manage this business and how it keeps changing all the time? So we're offering members an opportunity to connect with other people who do the same thing that they do. They're working professionals. They have their home studios. They have lots of questions. They want to feel connected to other people because they don't leave their homes on a daily basis to go to work. So this becomes your virtual workplace and it becomes your virtual community. Yeah, it's such a great organization and it's such a great community of people that are so willing to to help. It's helpful to anyone at all levels. I think if you're just starting out or if you're very experienced in voiceover, I think there's a lot that Wovo has to offer as far as guidance and, you know, advice and things like that. So everyone should check it out. If you guys are not members already, go check out the Wovo website and see about becoming a member. You provide editorial services such as medical writing, editing, translation, copy editing, transcription, and script revision for translation accuracy. You must keep terribly busy because I know there are a lot of scripts that need accurate translation from English to French. Can you tell us a bit about what this work entails? Sure. So the translation aspect of my business involves translating either from English to French or from French to English. And it really is a science and an art. I mean, you have to use the right words and the right sentence structure, but you also have to interpret the language properly to ensure that you're capturing the meaning. And so, you know, a, a machine-based translator could do a translation, but it doesn't mean that it's going to capture the meaning that was intended in the source language. Some content doesn't translate well from one language to another. For example, telephony prompts or humor or the levels in the type of people who would be using certain language in a commercial, let's say, versus a news broadcast. So all these things have to be taken into consideration when crafting the message in another language. There's always this joke between myself and Liz Dineshnera about the proper translation of certain terms in telephony. And the funniest one we've seen so far is to continue in French, press one. And in French, they would say, pour continuer en français, appuyez sur la touche fourrière. So, fourrière in French is pound, but not the pound that we expect to hear for telephony. It's the dog pound. And so, <laughs> it's completely not used, it's not used in the right way. And so we laugh when we see these translations because we always question whether or not they were actually reviewed or done by a human. They, same thing with expressions that are used regularly, let's say in Quebec, where in English, if you say, oh, that guy just works for peanuts. Well, the word for peanut in French could be one of two things. It could be arachide, which is like what you would use for peanut butter. But there's also another term called cacahuète, which doesn't sound very good and very nice. And if you were to use those proper words in the expression, it doesn't make sense because in French, they would 
would still use the word peanut. So they would say, ben, moi, je travaille pas pour des peanuts. And so all these things have to be taken into account when you're using, when you're translating, when you're verifying with your client who's the market, who is going to be listening to this, how is this going to be used? These are very important questions. So the meaning and the translation play a big role in how you're using the right words to capture the right meaning. I have my master's degree in French, so I've studied extensively the language. And when I was studying at Middlebury College in Vermont, I took a translation class because I thought, oh, this will be a great idea. Like, maybe I want to be a translator. And <laughs> about one day into the class, I was like, nope, <laughs> not happening. <laughs> um, and the reason why is, for those of you listening, if you don't have experience with this, is that, like Catherine said, there are so many words in English and French that are similar, but there are also a lot of differences. So you could be translating, and there's it's never a direct translation because the languages are so different. So you have to remember that French was not meant to be translated into English. When they wrote the French language, they didn't go, oh, how do we say this in English? So there's all different words for everything you're trying to say. And so when I was taking this translation class, My professor didn't just have us translating normal stuff. He had us translating Ernest Hemingway books, passages from Ernest Hemingway books from British English or whatever into French. And so, I mean, if it, what was so difficult about it was that if you didn't know what the word meant in English <laughs> to start, it was very difficult to figure out how would you say this in French. So probably I think that was one of the most difficult classes I ever took in translating. And after that class, I was like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do this. This is not what I'm meant to be doing with my life as far as French goes. It's very, very difficult. Even if you're a fluent speaker, even if you're a native speaker, you still, a lot of times, I think, have to use dictionaries sometimes to figure out, like, what am I trying to say here? Because there's so many different words in French. You have to, like you said, make sure you get the right context of what you're trying to say, right? Right. And it's very brave of you to try and take the course and try to go into that direction. It, it's not for everybody. Some people are more gifted at just writing it. Other times people are more gifted at voicing the content. And it's important to know also that with French, there are far more words and the words are longer to say the exact same thing as in English. So in a translation, let's say for a 30-second spot that was for uh, English that had 29 seconds worth of content, the other challenge is to also use the exact same number of words or the same time frame, but to express the message in French. So that's always challenging because chances are you can have about 35, 38 seconds of French content and then it has to be chopped or reformatted or reformulated in order for it to fit in the 30 seconds that the English client wants. All these things have to be constantly on top of mind when doing translation work. And I believe the same is the case for English to Spanish, where there are more words in Spanish. And also Spanish and French are Latin languages. So you have the masculine, the feminine, and sometimes the neutral to describe nouns. You have longer adverbs. You have longer sentences. Certain words have more syllables. Yeah, it's quite something to try to do the translation. It's definitely challenging. I've done a little bit of translating here and there, like if it's a short script and someone's like, can you do the translation and then do the French as well? Sometimes I'm like, okay. But if it's like a huge document, I'm like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Just because <laughs> I think what it is mostly is that after that class, which kind of ruined it for me, it was so, I mean, it took me like, I'm ashamed to even say this. It took me like seven hours to translate this Ernest Hemingway passage. And the main reason was because half of what he was saying in his passage, I had no idea what it meant in English because it's so different, you know. 
And so yeah. my entire class, we were all just like, what is he even talking about? And what is that word in French? So it took us forever. We had to look up everything. So that's why it took me so long. And I think that really kind of deterred me from going like, yes, let me translate all your stuff for you. I'm like, no, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'll just. I think it's interesting what you just said, because in, in a big part of communication is not just listening and responding, it's also understanding. That's the third component that is sometimes left out of the equation. And if you don't understand what you're reading, how are you expected to interpret it, let's say as a voice talent, but how are you expected to translate it as a translator? So the understanding portion of the communication is a huge component that we have to take into account as well. And localization and regionalisms, that's another thing. When you deal with languages that appear in multiple parts of the world, like Spanish and French and English, Definitely accents develop. You have different pronunciations of certain words. You have expressions that are different. Even the sentence structure could be different. And so when I receive an already translated script in French and the client asks me, could you please review this for accuracy? And I'll look at it and I say, oh, I know that the person who translated this was not from Montreal. I know that they're from somewhere in France. But just because of the words that they chose to use or the expressions that they chose to use or even one word that could be the aha. I know that you're not from here. When you're using a translator, sometimes what I would recommend is make sure you're using a translator who lives in the market in which you're planning to do the voiceover work so that your content reflects how the local people would say things. And so just finding a French translator somewhere in the world may not be enough or adequate in order for your message to be conveyed, especially for branding. So that would be something to keep in mind when choosing a translator. Yeah, definitely. Those are all really good points. I mean, I could go on and on about this because <laughs> it's something I feel that I have experience with, you know, and just, of course, being a French speaker it's relevant. But but thank you for all the tips. It's really important that people kind of take that into account because I don't think a lot of people take into account how much work goes into translating. It's really a lot of work. Like you said, the even just the idiomatic expressions that exist, you know, in French and how they can be different from Canada to France to wherever, francophone yeah. country, you know, it's it's a lot of differences, so people have to really take that into account when they're trying to get someone to translate for them so that it can be accurate, because there are a lot of scripts out there that are just badly translated, <laughs> just so, <laughs> it's just terrible, yeah. And the humor doesn't translate well sometimes, you know, from English to French or from one French region to another. You have to be careful which words you want to use, because you don't want to be offensive. Some words may mean something in one country and may be used differently in another, so those are definitely things to keep in mind. What are three goals that you have for yourself in your voiceover career to accomplish in 2020? I think like every other voice talent out there, it's just to continue booking work. I think the pandemic is influencing how, you know, commercials are being done right now, video production, e-learning. And so there was a downturn in work at some point in the month of March and April. So the goals that were set out in January are probably no longer the same ones as today. So I think that for many people, that is the case. And just to continue to book work, to continue to have good conversations with clients, reaching out to people that you usually maybe had a regular weekly thing with them and see what's happening with their business. Um, try to see if there's a new payment plan that they want to work on, if um, you need to change the frequency with which you work with them. But that was one of the things where for me, as soon as the pandemic hit, was to just continue to book work so that I can meet my weekly targets. And I think it's been working out so far, and I'm very thankful for that, just because I have a variety 
variety of clients that I work with and I, I offer a variety of services. So I didn't put all my eggs in one basket when I started my business. I told myself if there's going to be, let's say, less work for one part of the business, let's say less translation, but more voice work or less voice work, but more medical writing. I made it such that I would have my hand in multiple pots and always have work coming in from different revenue streams. One of the biggest goals that I had for myself this year was to branch out globally, to continue to branch out and find clients in different markets. So not the market that I'm in right now, but in separate ones. So I was very fortunate to sign on with US and UK agents just by having conversations and referrals from other people, which again, I'm very thankful for. So that was one of the goals that I reached this year. And uh, also to continue my work as president of World Voices and to create more closeness and collaboration and solidarity in the voiceover community around the world. I think now we're all connected with the internet. We're all connected with voiceover conferences and social media. So everyone is so much closer to one another than they used to be, let's say 20, 25 years ago. And people sometimes only know each other through a profile that they see online through social media. I just want to continue to make sure that people are getting the right information, making good decisions for their businesses, and continuing to build relationships. That is a huge thing in our business. We are a people business. We are definitely able to know who the players are who are reliable. And once you find people that you like to work with, you go back to them over and over and over. So building relationships with people, whether in person or virtually, is still very important. Those are all really great goals. I can appreciate the fact that you work so hard in so many different areas of voiceover. I mean, that's really great. That's very impressive that you are able to do so much. Thank you. So that's it for this episode. Join me next week for part two of my interview with Catherine. Thanks, Vale. I'm Johnny Heller, and I'm delighted to present at Mini Mavo 2020. I'm sorry it won't be live, but it's the next best thing. I hope you'll join me and all the other great coaches. I'm going to talk about audiobooks and intro to audiobooks. It's one of the big, booming markets in the voiceover world. I'll also be doing a question and answer session, which I assume will be about audiobooks, but it doesn't have to be. I'll answer anything you ask me, and if I don't know the answer, I promise to make something up on the spot. So please, plan on joining us and plan on having a great time. Live with Squacky is mixed and mastered by everybody's favorite voiceover tech, Uncle Roy Yokelson of Antland Productions. Live with Squacky is a unique, interview-style podcast that dives into the worlds of voice acting and entertainment. Thanks for listening. Ha, ha, ha.